Give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Hello and welcome. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Picard series finale, The Last Generation. Like always, I'm your host Clarence and I'm joined by my fellow co-host slash Trekkies. Jonathan Shorts, how you doing, dude? Doing good, man. Doing good. I am... My computer is kind of going crazy at the moment. I <laughs> uh, think I may have a Borg infestation. Well, it happens. You know, now it's, it's, it's biological now. You know, they've, they've they switched it up. They've evolved. Uh, they've done something. And right now they're in Windows 11. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your problem right there on Windows 11. Let's, let's be clear here. <laughs> well, it's better than Mac, so. Uh-oh. Fight. Also, Sorry, podcast. <laughs> we have none other than Cal Jones. How you doing? Yeah. Man? Speaking of fighting words, warning to you know call out the max. All I can say is my computer is just going nice tonight. It's a Mac, and it's just not having the same problems that Jonathan is having with his Windows Borg infestation. I'm just saying. A battle as old as time itself. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And also on the podcast, we have Larry Irby. How you doing, man? Doing fine. How about you? Doing good, man. Can't wait to talk this out. All right. And last but certainly not least, we have, after the snaps, Tasha Pierce. How you doing, Tasha? I am well. Very, very happy to be here with you all to discuss this fantastic episode. Yes, yes. We're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Picard, The Last Generation, which was written and directed by Terry Metalis in a desperate last stand. Jean-Luc Picard and generations of crews, both old and new, fight together to save the galaxy from the greatest threat they've ever faced as the saga of Star Trek The Next Generation comes to a thrilling, epic conclusion. Alrighty, for everyone listening, if you have not seen this episode, the finale of the Picard series, put us on pause, go out, watch it, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. The spoiler warning has been dropped, and like always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic, and maybe even this instance, sometimes sad. What do you have for us this week, Cal Jones? I really wanted to write something poetic. I so wanted to write something poetic. However, I do have something. Maybe a little clever, hopefully, at least in my own mind. But here we go. In an episode overflowing with Q&A, questions were answered in abundance. And, in my opinion, and while some may disagree, it answered all necessary plot point questions. But, in the end, with all the questions answered... We were still left with a cue. <laughs> <laughs> but did we need it, though? Did we need it? Uh, and I'm not sure if I feel that all the questions were answered. I think most of them were, but there's still some some hanging chads or dangling threats from other seasons that were kind of just totally skipped over, in my opinion. Let me give just a little epilogue for that. I had to say that in order to have my punchline with the cue at the end. <laughs> so just FYI. Well, let's go around a horn and see what everybody thought of this episode at a high level. And John, let's start with you this time, man. What did you think of the series finale of Star Trek Picard? I loved it. And you know what? I'm going to take the easy way out. Like, there could have been issues with this episode. And I think there were issues with this episode. And I have questions about this season. But 
they just hit me on the head with a hammer and knocked me out and I'm out cold happy. So that's just how I'm looking at it. All right, Larry, man, what's your thoughts? I loved it. Were there problems? There were problems. Were there things that didn't make sense? Yes, there were things that did not make sense. And I do not care because I loved it. It made me feel, gave me the feels. It was Star Trek, man, at its most pure and its most beautiful. I was happy. And like I said, I could say, well, but there was the, I, I do not care. The, the shortcomings are far outweighed by just the amazing feeling it gave me. Absolutely. So I'm coming right back to you and ask you with the totality of the, with the entire season we've seen and we've seen what Terry Metalis can do. Do you think he's the next man to carry the torch for Star Trek? Has he proven himself in your opinion? I think he has. I think he's proven like me personally. I think he's proven that he thinks a lot like we do that. He sometimes goes, Man, wouldn't that be cool? It's not to say <laughs> that he doesn't do things I disagree with, but we would do things if we were all making Star Trek right now, all of us, there would be people who would disagree with what we did. That's just inevitable. So he's not going to be perfect, but I think going forward, I would love to see him helm another Star Trek series. I really would. He has my vote. And I think anyone that can garner the trust of these actors that have done this for so long that probably really never had a desire to do another show for him to gather them together, present them with a storybook that they would approve of that they would want to go through with. And as he said, I watched the interview where he said how hard it was to just keep them in line between shots because they were always singing and joking and, like it takes a special person that really loves Trek that can really, you know, emit that to Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes like that. That says a lot. So, yes, he has my vote. If you look at it from a big picture point of view, anybody that's writing something, you know, we're going into what we do and we pick things apart because that's what part of reviewing is. We say what we like. We, you know, dissect. We try to put it back together. But overall, his stories gel, and I think they give something to the old, they give something to new, and I, I think I like it. Tasha, the same question, what do you think about Metalis? And then also give us just your thoughts of the episode as well. Yeah, I'm going to be mad at me. And it's not that I don't agree that Terry Metalis is the man to, to carry the torch. I think he can do it. What I'd like to see is less of a fan, number one, even though I, we know that it's important for him to have the the knowledge, Trek knowledge, but less of a fan, more of a showrunner, number one. And then number two, about this season, I really feel like this was a, a fan moment, a fanboy moment for mm. Terry McCollins. This was a story that he'd probably been dreaming up his whole life. Was this story for the fan or was it for Terry McCollins? I think I asked the question before, and I think I come with the same answer each time. This is a story he wanted to tell. We've already seen the Borg. He didn't care that y'all had already seen the Borg. You're going to see it again because it's the story I want to tell. <laughs> so do I think he's capable? Yes. Am I worried that it'll become nostalgia uh, overload? 
and that's all he knows how to do. I'm also worried about that. So, so Tasha, if you don't mind, let me ask you a question. Did this story, this season work for you, regardless of the fan? Did it work for you? That's where I was going. In a lot of ways, it did. Of course, I'm a nitpicker. <laughs> so I can always pull a thread and, and everything unravels. But for the most part, especially taking me out of the equation, the majority of the fandom was appreciative and and um, want more of what they saw in this, in this series. I want more Star Trek, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same vein. It's real easy to do it in this vein because we already love these people. Yeah. And he's just telling stories that, uh, or he's closing out stories that had already started. Can yeah. he start a story and carry it out to the end? That's my question. And stay off of Twitter. <laughs> that too. <laughs> oh, we got a comment here from Win Grace. Terry Trick for me. Would love to see what he can do without the budget and series wrap-up constraints, which is very interesting. Tasha, that's something that came up in your chat. What type of budget did he have for this season versus what a Discovery might have? Now, I know in the beginning years, Discovery had like a huge budget. I don't know if that continued to the end, but, you know, letting them out <laughs> off the leash so to speak, uh, there, there's no telling what, what he could do with, with Star Trek. So I'd be interested to see that as well. My thoughts on this episode, how can you not love it? How can you not love it? It brought to an end so many things and put a nice book in on the next generation as we know it. Left the door open for some more stuff with Seven. Are there some things I think were essential to the story that we didn't see? Like, a little bit of Jane Way since this is so integral to her story as well. Yes, I would love to see that as well. And also like just the fact that he's pulling things in to create this story. It's not wholly original. Even with Jack as a son, we've kind of did that before in Star Trek as well. So it would be interesting to see what he could do from the start with no with with not so much nostalgia and copying off of everything that's come before it. But I think that's kind of what we wanted this season to wrap up the story of, of of Picard and crew. So I'm down for it. So we start the episode. I have to mention that we had the bumper where they inserted the Enterprise D and we also got the assimilation of the Star Trek logo. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. And this is going to go to Larry particularly. President Anton Chekhov. Was that a surprise to you? And did you think that was a cool Easter egg for us? Loved it. Got a tear. Got a tear right out of the, the gate. Because I love what they do. I had the pleasure of meeting that wonderful man. He's a very, very loving person to the fans. Just hearing when they said Anton Chekhov, I just went, wow, they're really going for the heartstrings. Because, of course, we know we lost Anton, who played Chekhov. And uh, that was a tribute to him, as well as the character of Chekhov. And to have uh, Walter do it, yeah, I mean, I choked up. It was also another, it, it was uh, an, an homage to what Spock said. And was it Generations? What movie was it where he uh, he talked about the possibilities? Possibilities. Uh, Anton Chekhov mm. made that exact same, uh, he alluded to the exact same thing. And it was General Order 12, which was also from a movie. Y'all know I'm not good with the movies now. I can, <laughs> I can talk all around the series. I get lost with the movie, so correct me if I'm wrong. But it was a General Order 12 was mentioned in the movies, too. Though I, I find it like a, a gap in strategy to say, don't come help us, is essentially what they said. Yes. 
And this is just focused so far. It's just focused on on Starfleet. You know, just the Earth military arm of you know, well, space exploration military arm of the Federation. So you have all these other parts of the Federation, and we're not even going to try to get their help in this situation. I feel like that was just a big gap in storytelling. I know why we did it because we needed to kind of be self-contained, but still, it kind of didn't make sense. Especially when we find out that cloaked vessels give give this fleet formation <laughs> flux. So it's yeah. like, oh, we could have called in uh, at the absolute least the Klingons, and and they would have had fun. <laughs> well, in their defense, they didn't know. Like I think Seven and the little crew, they were the only ones knew that. I mean, nobody else had control of the ship. Nobody else could make contact. Every ship was controlled. People on Earth knew. Somebody in the Starfleet arm of on Earth, they should know how the ships work. I would hope somebody. (laughs) True. I think it's like in Voyage Home, I remember they told everybody to stay away because there's nothing you can do to help us because if you come in range of the probe, it's going to shut you down. So you will just get yourself stranded. But in this one, I was like, okay, so everybody said this already been discussed. Call the Klingons. Well, the Klingons want to kill stuff when they get there. We don't want to kill our people. We want to save them and try to unassimilate them. And you just can't trust the Klingons. I mean, the Klingons show up to a crippled Federation fleet. It's a 50-50 chance they help or take over. (laughs) For me, I think the whole line of sight thing was another gap in the story. Because all this technology, all this futuristic space stuff, you have to see the ship for it to actually work. It's like beaming infrared or something. Like, really? (laughs) I really think that was misworded. Like, I was thinking, it's not line of sight. We right now have fighters that can link together and fly together on auto. The pilots don't have to do anything. So I think they, and they don't have to be in line of sight. So I was thinking they were like, they just probably wrote that wrong. But let me ask this question. At the end of the day, with this particular story that we were watching, did it really matter what the ships were doing in formation? Could They could have, in my opinion, have been sitting there spinning around and around and around, and that was what they were doing. We really didn't care. We were devoted to what was happening to Jack, to what was happening with the Borg, at least for me. I didn't really care what was going on with Starfleet and the Earth ships, you know, exploding. I was more looking at, okay, who's going to die? What's going to happen? That's where I was invested. Yeah, well, it was a big part of the story. I mean, you can't just, you know, say it didn't matter too much, but I do get your no, point. I'm just saying they, for me, it didn't for, matter for me, not, maybe okay. not for everybody else, but. Well, I'm with you, Kyle. It didn't really matter much to me. I do hear your point, and I thought the same. Well, not the same. I just kind of thought, like, here we are this far ahead in Starfleet, and line of sight is how we're doing this. Like, I just thought that was pretty low tech for what we had, but like you, Kyle, I was so enthralled in what was going on. It really didn't make a difference for me. And I probably missed a lot of problems that we're going to find out. We're going to talk about a lot of issues. I'm sure I missed it, but but that's still a testament to this story. That whole thing stood out to me because I am doing a review uh, on Redemption Part 2. And as I watched that episode again, there was it was like a point in the episode where I said, Boy, they could have really used this fleet formation thing <laughs> right here. But even then, they had tachyon beams that that they were going from ship to ship with the tachyon beams. So if a cloaked vessel moved between these these tachyons, 
it would be detected. And this mm. was 30 years before. So it's because I have seen an example of where it, the fleet formation would have worked in prior track, but where even in prior track, they did things better than they did in this episode. And if, if I wasn't watching them simultaneously, it probably wouldn't have come to me. So the transport phasers, Seven and Rafi taking back the bridge on the Titan. This is like, I kinda, it kind of threw me off to see them just <laughs> shoot people. <laughs> and they just transporting away. Kind of interesting tech thing, but... I already been there. Um, it was the episode where Picard, everybody thought he was dead. Mm-hmm. And um, he was actually, these people didn't kill him. They fired at him. And when they fired, it transported him to their ship. Mm. And uh, then they captured Riker later, and Riker remembered he was. Remember that's the technology they used too, where they could fire at things or people they wanted, and it would beam to their ship. Did Starfleet have that capability? Apparently, they do now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was like, like we said that was like thirty years ago in real life. And I mean, we got to assume Seven has that knowledge from being in the collective, you know. So, and I think they did credit her for doing that. And what I didn't like about that whole part right there is we've got this technology; we can shoot a person and transport them away. Why not transport them to the brig? Someplace that they would not be able to escape from. (laughs) That was a problem. (laughs) We needed them to destroy the cloak later. (laughs) Maybe they needed to trance when the beam hit them. Maybe that was the only place that would receive the signal through the buffer. As as long as we can make it make sense. But how can we expect? I mean, you just beamed a bunch of Borg into the transporter room, which is not the safest place on the (laughs) ship by no means. Like there's a door. And I mean... You can get through these doors in Star, in Star Trek. We've seen that over and over and over. I'm imagining 10 Borg could do it. We we, we saw it happen. <laughs> so, Kyle, somehow you get you, I'm talking to Kyle Jones here, you get roped on the bridge, you know, and Seven just says, to your stations. And you just tell her, I'm just a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on his cook. And don't we expect everybody in Starfleet to have a baseline knowledge on how to do something productive? You say, I'm just a podcaster. I should know, like you just said, how to turn on a mic. I might not have the best mic. I might not have the uh, settings all right, but I know how to turn it on. So I think that's what she was doing. You know, if you're on the ship, you may be a cook, but you have basic things that you should know. And it's been said and many times in Trek, when you go through the academy, there's these certain courses. I mean, everybody takes these medical extension courses and the uh, flight school and everybody has the flight test, which, you know, Picard was famous for having an accident during a flight to the flight school or whatever class he was in. So I'm, I mean, and wouldn't you not like if our regular military, like, if you hand any of our active duty military any gun, they should have a basic knowledge yeah. on how to operate it. I'm going to disagree on that one. I'm going to say because I know like in the military, you get basic training. But if you are a cook and somebody puts you out on the main line and says, <laughs> hey, you're a cook, need you to drive this tank, though. Yeah, you drove a tank one time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm prior military. That's not how things work. <laughs> yeah, I'm prior military. You cannot expect the cook to know how to drive the tank because he rode in the tank one day. Right. 
And I think what what his issue is probably is he went he got on the bridge and everybody went to a spot and maybe one of the spots that he was gonna go to was already <laughs> occupied. He wanted communications. <laughs> Like, bruh. <laughs> Listen, I felt that character in here. I felt him because I'd have been losing my mind too. I'm like, uh, what? Oh boy. Yeah. And that goes to the comedy in this episode. There's a few moments that I, I felt were pretty funny. So oh boy. So the the big D, the 1701D. Rafi apparently did not know what the call sign was. Tasha, you have thoughts. I see you smirking over there. Thoughts? Because that bothered me too. Like, there's a there's a, sh- a ship, a, a, a Federation ship near this board cube. It's 1701D. Like, are you really, are you serious, Rafi? You were the first <laughs> officer yes. of, of, of Picard. How do you not know? And this is the most storied ship in the entire Federation. How did you not know that? Yeah, even, even if it wasn't the D, the, the, right. the, the ones before that. Have, how could you not know what that is? Even the cook turned around and looked at her like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> that right there is the same line for this episode that follows up to the, hey, Jean-Luc, my children got kidnapped. No, that is just <laughs> differently, differently altogether. We get a good, good comment here from Johnny Fitzhugh. Not everyone went to the academy. There are enlisted Starfleet members, and we've talked about that before. So that's an His excellent point. Was different, all completely different. He had on a gray uniform, so I'm going to assume that he was a, a just a regular enlisted member. I gotta say that one remind me if anybody ever saw that Steven Seagal movie way back when. I don't even remember the name of it, but they had a scene like that where they're going to retake the ship. And the one guy says, man, I, I do laundry. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, exactly. What is this cook doing on, on this ship? Because we got replicators. I've never seen a cook since Enterprise. No, remember they had a cook uh, in that weird scene in uh, Undiscovered Country? Yeah. And they go down to the galaxy. Well, they had they, a barber, so I mean. But we need a barber. We don't need a cook. It's, it made no sense. And then Valeris, she uses a phaser and vaporizes a bowl, but all the stuff in the bowl was still there. Mm. The name of that you movie was me. Under Siege. I just looked it up. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. You helped because I, I don't, I'm not good with the movies. <laughs> Seven's captain moment, which I really like. She's trying to rally the troops and just kind of foreshadowing maybe where we'll see Seven sometime in the future. As we mentioned before, well, I think we mentioned on a pre-stream, but the rating room where it was uh, Metalis and Jerry Ryan, she was really giving Metalis praises. So it's like they're trying to make this happen. So I really would love to see Seven Helma show or just in a new series with the current canon we have now. I think think would be very interesting. So we are the cavalry. I think we talked about this briefly, but where's the rest of the Federation? I feel like it was dumb to not call the rest of the Federation, but we may have justification for that. Now, let's talk about when we get to Jupiter and just the visual first of seeing a transwarp conduit somehow placed into the clouds of Jupiter, I thought was very interesting. But what were you guys' just initial thoughts on seeing the Borg Cube, the look, the feel, the scale of the Borg Cube in this situation as compared to the D? The scale of that thing was what was, and I know it, it, it's it's something that's probably not lost on people who are more technical with the ships. And I know Jonathan, like 
you blew me away at once what you were talking about having the Starfleet technical manual. This has been some months <laughs> or years ago that you talked about this, but that stuck in my head. So, <laughs> so uh, the people who really are real ship people, this probably wasn't that big a surprise. But when I saw the D next to that Borg cube, and then the Borg cube uh, inside the uh, red eye of Jupiter, the red eye of Jupiter will swallow Earth. So we're talking the size of that anomaly on that planet. That Borg cube was as big <laughs> as that anomaly. And and yeah, so the scope of it is what really, really blew me away. You know, at first the scope did surprise me a bit, but I think it was all in service of the moment we have where the, the Enterprise D enters into the Borg cube. <laughs> I can praise I can praise Metallus for all the great stuff he did. He's copied a lot of stuff too. This is basically uh The Force Awakens <laughs> where the Millennium Falcon like goes inside of the uh the the new death planet, whatever it's called. But yeah, this is this is kind of the same thing. And did I ever think the Enterprise D would be that fast and nimble? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it felt like it's been something more the defiant would do, you know. Yeah. You know that was my exact thought in that scene. I was like, "What are we trying to be the defiant?" And I guess they wanted to explain it by you know it's data that's controlling it. So yeah, you know I get it, I get it, but I think it's still more. It's not a who's controlling problem. I think it's like you said, Clarence, a physics problem. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe Jordy made some modifications. Maybe. But at the end of the day, and again, I'm not saying that this is the right thing, but at the end of the day, as me, the fan, I don't care that it's the Enterprise <laughs> flying around. I care that it's Data flying the Enterprise and yes. going to the rescue. That's what my brain was attached to. I'm, I'm with you on that, Kyle, because I got to say, you forget the golden rule. This is an old golden rule of... Star Trek fans, how fast does the Enterprise go? As fast as it needs to. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> as fast as we need it to go in whatever episode, that's how fast it'll go. Yep. So right before we were planning on going into the ship, this is what I was worried was going to happen. And you guys, did anybody watch TNG? And I uh, know if you already know where I'm going with this, let's separate the saucer. <laughs> oh. That's what I thought, too. I thought they were going to do it. I thought they would do it, man. I'm glad they didn't either. And, and what's, what's bad about the saucer separation, the more nimble flying part of it is the ugly part of it, not the saucer. And if I would have saw that nacelle and gooseneck flying through the Borg cube, I don't think, oh, Kyle, God. I don't even think you would have been okay with <laughs> No, that would have just looked really, really the weird. The fandom divided once again. Terrible. No, they got that part right. <laughs> like, and that's the moment Terry Metalis lost the new show. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, but also interesting about this Borg Cube, I really think that it was awesome to see just the repercussions of what Janeway did on the voyage home. How she utterly decimated the Borg. And we see it from the operation of the Cube, which is this only only 30%, 36% operational. And once you just get inside there, it's just a mess. And you have the queen just feeding off of every other drone. So for me, it was just really, really cool to see. Again, I wish we would have seen Janeway in the series, but just to see what she did, what the crew of the Voyager did. 
And we've talked about copying the copping the best of, of DS9. We're copping the best of Voyager here, man, because it was really awesome to see some of those scenes. And they mentioned her so many times, but this would have been the time that you would think we need to go ahead and give her her props because this none of the rest of this is possible if Janeway didn't wreck shop <laughs> in that in, in, in that board queue. Yes. That board queue needed housekeeping. It really did because she left it wrecked. So they she put them in the position to deal this this uh, death blow to the Borg, and she wasn't mentioned in that spot. And <laughs> that, I, I don't I don't know if I'm going to forgive them for not mentioning her. I agree with you. Metallus did one thing that I did not like, and I only like it from a selfish point of view. It made me mad from a selfish point of view. You took the changelings, and we're going to talk about how if that was good or not. <laughs> but you took the changeling, which is DS9. That's something to hang their hat on, the Dominion. And then you piggybacked off a of Janeway's thing and, you know, took, I always say her daughter, for, for better or worse, seven or nine, and uh, put them in the next gen. And I was like, it was beautiful. But it's like, you know, we got to give DS9 and Voyager, got to give them their love too. Yeah. And we did get the little shout out with the ships at the ship at the museum, but man, I want more. And and also we got, you know, we got him at the end, but we got Tim Russ in his series. So we I think we needed, it. we probably needed another DS9 person in here as well to just balance it just a little bit. I'll tell you what I would have loved to see, and it's just me, fanboy, when they go on the bridge and everybody's cool and they're leaving. It would have been cool if they got the, the poor officer that died, the Vulcan officer. Mm. Wouldn't it have been cool if somebody walked on the bridge to replace her and says, welcome aboard the Enterprise, and he says, Lieutenant Cisco. Hmm. Yep. That's the baby all yep. grown up. Right. <laughs> that would have been cool. We got a comment real quick from Will Grace. Win Grace, excuse me. I'm surprised he didn't separate the saucer and make Jordy put his visor to fly it. <laughs> Again, that would have been too much. Too much. Yeah, yeah. What nostalgia. <laughs> pull, out the, pull out the headband. <laughs> and it was, for me, it was kind of weird to see Jordy without it for a little while. You know, it, it had to grow on me a little bit. But man, to see him sitting at Captain's chair was pretty darn cool. Yes, yes. it was. He had the lean. Yeah, he did have the lean. He did have the lean. <laughs> he got to. Tasha, so in this episode, we get a highly emotional data. Um, and he is just saying, I hate them. And just, you know, getting excited, getting giddy when he can pilot the Enterprise. Do you like the direction they're taking with this? Absolutely. And, and, and the reason why I am completely in favor of this is because we've watched this evolution for 30 years. We see that it, at each phase of of uh, Data's evolution, he's getting one step closer to humanity, and now he's as close as he's ever been, and it's overwhelming. He he, uh, the emotion is is spilling out of him. It is not just trickling. You know, he he can't control it sometimes, and that is that's understandable. It's it's like a child gaining control of their emotions. I like it, and it's so my thought in that scene. So, you know, we've seen a couple of times when Data has had access to emotions and it got to a point it was so overwhelming that he had to shut him down and remove the chip. And like, it's like he always wanted those emotions. And then a couple of times he's had them, it's been so much he couldn't handle it. And like hear this scene again and a TNG fan is seeing that 
And they're like, oh boy, here we go. But to see him go through it, think it out, experience it, handle it, and stay on the job, to me, show more growth of that character than anything else in this season. See, I, I have to agree with you on um, both of what you guys said, because I think what we saw here is you have a character who is not restricted by the boundaries of what a series can be. Because, yes, you do have character growth in any series, but for the most part, the characters fundamentally stay the same. Picard is the captain. But, you know, Geordi does what Geordi does. Uh, Crusher does what she does. Data does what Data does. But it's outside those constraints of TNG that you saw growth in the movies and now ultimate growth that we're seeing in this, for lack of purpose, mini-series season-type story. You know, they they knew they only had three seasons that they were going to tell, and that was it. It wasn't an open-ended something. So, Larry, the Borg Queen makes a statement that I feel like is one of the most interesting statements I've heard in all three seasons. And she says, the future of the Borg does not lie in assimilation, but in evolution. So what did you think about the evolution of the Borg in this episode? And are the Borg the titular last generation? Is is that what the last generation is? Help me out here. Well, I felt what she was personally was saying, this ain't working. Okay, we've been doing assimilating and assimilating and for whatever reason, we all know why, plot armor, they cannot assimilate Earth and they can't assimilate the Federation. They've tried time and time again. So I think they're saying, hey, the only way we can do this is actually to go on a um, a level where people are basically born Borg, where they can actually have a planet that it's a it's all biological and that they, as Picard said, he said, procreate. Yeah. Have, which is incredibly scary. <laughs> kind of gave me chills. Got to admit, because a whole planet of Borg running around. Oh, no, they making them Borg real sexy. You see, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of Borg babies running around. Man. <laughs> but I mean, by that logic, though, in the Borg becoming what they were trying to get rid of, I mean, definition of life part of it is procreation and you know their their whole thing was we're going we're living towards uh perfection and we create perfection perfection is not born i think that was a line and from a borg in one episode so i mean now they're essentially becoming living people mm-hmm. and that's completely opposite of what their goal was so i think she she knew she was lost right after jane we left mm-hmm. where'd she get arms from some other Borg. Yeah, she assimilated them from those Borg that was in the alcoves. That was a horror film, man. Yeah, that was terrible. And I didn't even notice it till my second time watching. I went, wait a minute, she had the little suit she loaded into. Right. Where, where's, okay, whatever. And then they have her all perched up there, Palpatine-esque. Just. <laughs> that was another thing. Yeah, she looked Oh, really yeah, that, that was, I got that one. <laughs> I thought, were they trying to do Palpatine here? Yeah, really weird. But yeah, I mean, I and, and well, let me ask this question to you, Tasha. Is this, what does the last generation mean in the title? I mean, and that's the way I read it. The way, you, what you just said is that uh, the last generation, of course, is a play on the next generation, but this is the last generation of Borg. There are no more after this. Um, 
unless they pull some kind of crazy <laughs> uh, card out of the sky and just make another way a Borg could appear. There should be the only Borg out there now should be the Borgatti Borg. I think the name of the episode had another meaning or not necessarily meaning, but had another intent. And what I think that intent was is to make people like me who were watching it assume who's going to die, who's not going to make it out of the next generation crew to the end of this episode, because I was going in expecting death is a coming, you know. Mm. So I think that was partly the intent of the title that they gave it. Larry, you've talked about it, but I think they finally learned their lesson. They've killed Data multiple times, and we've seen Kirk die. We've seen other characters die in service to the story, but this time somehow they managed to not kill off our heroes. You got to learn a lesson sooner or later. Do not kill legacy characters because it will only come back to haunt you. And we've seen that we finally got Data back because they immediately remembered that that in Nemesis, that was dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but it was stupid. We, we just, I mean, it was just last year with Metalis as the showrunner, we killed Q. Yeah. And just to say this year, oh, we're going to bring her <laughs> back. But this ain't that Q. This is Q, early Q, not that Q. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. <laughs> yes. I was Time reading a, a interview, and I don't know where this was uh, and who was interviewing uh, Terry Metalis, but. He was saying Patrick Stewart kind of came into this with the thought of my character is going to die off here. Like this will be the end of Picard. I'm going to die. And throughout the se- throughout the season, that has been kind of in Patrick Stewart's head. And that's how it was going to end. Uh, Terry Metalis kind of went against that. No, I can't do that. I don't, there's no real way to do it. We don't know yet. And I think there's a particular scene where uh, Picard is telling, right, on the board cube, where Picard is telling Will goodbye for the last time. Yeah. Like, all, that whole scene was ad-libbed by Patrick Stewart. because oh, I could he believe that. Oh, he, I could believe that. In his mind, Terry Metalis still, he thought Terry Metalis still needed to kill him off. And I like that, that very scene that you're talking about. That's like my favorite wharf line ever. Came in that scene, he said, There yes. are two turrets of phrase of Klingon. Man, that just gave me goosebumps, and I keep watching it. There are two turrets of phrase of Klingon. Never admits to knowing defeat and, and farewell. farewell. I will never forget it. Now, is this the same scene? I don't think it is, but even I think there were two scenes, what you guys are referring to, but also when they're about to leave the bridge, there's a you know similar conversation yeah. where he turns around and says, Something the effect, you know, it was an honor. honor. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you mean the threesome? You mean the threesome? (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Riker just shaking his head like, oh, boy. (laughs) Are you hearing yourself? (laughs) (laughs) So good. But but there's another point where I think it was Riker turns to Worf and says, is today a good day? And, you know, without just outright saying the phrase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's so many good moments. Yeah, and Worf, that one, when he said, I almost thought we were going to make it out of this day alive. I mean, yeah. there was yeah. a lot of good moments on that cube. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, and I'll mention this one real quick, too. This is the Goku moment when he takes off his shoulder pads and his wrist wrist bracelets, and they, like, just stomp on the ground. He's like, dang, that was heavy the whole time. <laughs> Riker could not lift, lift up the, the sword. <laughs> that was pretty darn cool. <laughs> 
especially with the way we've been seeing him swing that around. Right. <laughs> and he had a taser in the hip the whole time. Right. Right, like you had this the whole time. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how you could have these beautiful comedic moments, but then bang, they just turn on the it hit you right in the heart. It was crazy how good that was. Classic TNG. Oh, and that that's what I thought was masterfully done. This this uh episode for all the nitpicks, because you know that's what I do. I speculate and I nitpick, but for all of that, this was uh, so well done for those moments. And this that, at the end of the day, was what was promised. They promised us an epic send-off to our favorite characters. And we we did get that. Yeah. Were there uh, missteps, I would think, along the way? Yeah. But we got what was advertised. So I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Yeah. Yeah, Cal, Beverly at Tactical. What are your thoughts? <laughs> laying, laying down fire like like nobody's business. I love the way that she just like, okay, yeah, I've, I've been doing other things for 20 years. I love that. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's what the character should have been doing 30, 40 years ago. Right. You know, um, but TV wasn't ready for that. <laughs> but yes, loved, loved that. Because, you know, she's my favorite Star Trek doctor. So absolutely loved it. She did it better than Worf. That's what I said, John. I was like, Warp is out of a job. <laughs> so I want to get into the epilogue parts of the episode, but but we haven't even mentioned much of Jack so far in this episode. Jack was the signal, and Picard is there pleading to him. You know, I think he mentioned to Riker, like, he's not a captain anymore. He's, he's a father. And he goes in there, and we see Picard just pretty much pouring out his heart to try to get Jack to leave the collective and even starts pulling the tubules away from him. And the board queen says, no, you you don't want to do that. You're going to kill him. (laughs) You don't want to do that. (laughs) And Picard does something which I don't think any of us could have saw him Mm -hmm. doing is rejoining the collective after all this, all, all the turmoil we've seen him go through to rid himself of the Borg. He is willing to go back in there for his son Thoughts on this final scene where he goes back into the collective and we have this kind of this mind escape where he's talking with Jack. So if you look at the entire scope of the Picard series and the themes that have been around Jean-Luc from the start of this series, it all focuses on his family life and his legacy and the fact of in many ways the Picard family dies with him. You know, they've even, I think they even brought that up in the first series. So if you look at it from not just this season, but the entire scope of the story, I think it makes perfect sense now that he is finally presented with a son that he never knew he had. And he has that moment to not only save his son, but in subconsciously extend that family legacy, whether he's a Picard or a Crusher or whatever his name may be. In fact, he's still his son. I think it just flowed perfectly and mm-hmm. fit perfectly. I agree. Because uh, just like he said, they've been laying the, the line down from the beginning where Picard said, I am not the type of man who needs a legacy. So we, we've he'd already made it uh, clear that, number one, during during TNG, didn't want children, didn't particularly even like kids. Now, as he's got grown older, he, he goes to this vineyard 
to basically die alone. He is the last Picard. And to see him go uh, make a complete 180 and become not just a father, but a a real dad. He was willing to to lose his life for his son in exchange or with his son. And I think just like Kyle said, it's been even at sort of point of saying a name doesn't even matter towards the end. He didn't care that his name was not Crusher. He wasn't saying it. I mean, his name is Crusher and not Picard. He didn't say it because of that. He was saying names are unimportant. Mm. And and all of that ties into what Kyle brought up. So, yeah. yeah. He said, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving you. Something came back and I just had to say it was so beautiful. They really tied in season two of Picard right there, too, in that the trauma he experienced. Remember, he was a small boy when his mother took her own life. Mm-hmm. That would mess you up. And it does mess people up when that happens. And I, when the, in that moment, Clarence, I'll tell you guys, I, again, teared up because I saw what he said. I was looking for the family I never had because we know him and Maurice didn't get along that great. Mm-hmm. And he went to Starfleet and I found this family. And remember, mm-hmm. he says, but there were still walls. How he treated us, why he, you know, he couldn't commit uh, the one lady from France, you know, from yeah. uh, we always have Paris, Vosh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, all the other lady, the other officer who was on the Enterprise. And I think I think he wanted wanted to be with that lady. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that lady. I think he would have he would have risked it all for. They talk about the one with the played the flute and the piano. Yeah, <laughs> and she was awesome. But look at all his love relationship, even with Beverly. He never could commit mm. that trauma, but he was ready to fling all that aside. This is my family. This is my child. This is my legacy. Yeah. Dude, yeah, that hit me too, especially the part where he said he 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 had reserved to die on his vineyard alone. Hmm. And 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 Jack was the one thing he needed that he didn't know he needed. Didn't even know it. So good, so good. Let me ask a question that is kind of adjacent. Do you think that he and and Beverly reconciled? I think he, I think they did because he he says that he he said to a certain point that I don't blame you, Beverly. Not in those exact words, but he he pretty much says that you know you raised him the way you needed to, and I think I think part of that was him just seeing all of the bad stuff that was brought on <laughs> just almost immediately when, when Jack came back, came in his life, her fears were valid, were very much valid. Mm-hmm. So any other thoughts on this episode before we get to the epilogue, any other thoughts on wrapping up the story that we've gone over the last nine episodes to get to this point, Jack is free from the collective. We get that ah moment of <laughs> the, the enterprise D descending from the sky to rescue our heroes <laughs> in the nick of time as they destroy the signal and rush out of there. Any other thoughts, Cal, go ahead, sir. Yeah, I love that. I mean, campy it may have been, et cetera, fan service, you know, whatever check mark that you want to. Um, therefore, I loved it, hands down. And yes, I got teary-eyed when we had uh, Tuvok uh, back again. So loved, absolutely freaking loved it. Well, let's let's get into that epilogue. Let's get into that epilogue a bit you know, Shaw has been given Seven a hard time the whole season. And if not for this little, for this message he sent into Starfleet, we would have thought he just hated her. But man, I got to give Shaw a lot of props. 
he knew the potential of seven and to have Tuvok there to deliver that message and, and christen Captain Seven, I just thought was was really special. What are you guys' thoughts on that? You know, I've been saying Sh- Shaw is a flawed character. I did not like him this entire season. <laughs> I watched him do an interview with uh, with a YouTuber Sean Farrick, and he was saying this was intended to be a character that you were not supposed to like. You weren't supposed to like him until this moment. And I'm like, he played that so well, so well that I disliked this character the entire season <laughs> as it was, as he acted it. You know, there were a lot of people who did like, you know, a lot of aspects of Shaw. And I'm like, I just don't see it. And then we get to this episode and uh, he even admits, look, I, I play it safe and I do it. You know, I, I go by the rules and I'm old and, and maybe it's time that we start doing things uh, with the, just inserting a little bit of chaos necessarily. And I, I appreciate I appreciate that that's what he admired in seven. And I also appreciate and wish that we would have gotten an opportunity to see him maybe turn into that type of of character. Not saying that we need complete chaos from a a captain, but to know when to take a calculated risk. And, you know, I know that there are ways that we can bring Shaw back, but I I am interested now in seeing an awful lot more of uh, Liam Shaw. Yeah. And and, and part of the thing he says to Seven in that message is, by God, the book is boring. Hanson is reckless. She's unrelenting, (laughs) doesn't give a damn about protocol or procedure. However, she is brave and loyal. The book that she writes is going to be great. Mm. So (laughs) So good. To kind of tie it into a question you asked earlier, Clarence, uh, what do we mean by the last generation? And I kind of took that as meaning this particular, like this is the last of a generation of Starfleet. Mm. Seven will be the new generation. Jack Crusher will be the new generation. And I know we're jumping to the end, but you know, Rafi says you got a pirate, a thief and a spy and the captain and the <laughs> flagship of the Starfleet. Like that's the new generation. That's the new Starfleet. We saw the end that they did really well of the last generation. But I don't want it to be the end. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Because <laughs> <laughs> they seven is, is molded after uh, our, our older captains uh, she's like a maverick like like your kirks like picard except for picard even was more disciplined than kirk and and in a lot of ways janeway but janeway by necessity by necessity had to be a little bit mavericky but um seven is molded off of those that template so isn't it gonna just be more of the same with putting her out there i don't think so no i really don't think so so a wise man once said, everything ends and it's always sad, but then everything begins again and everything is always happy. So last generation it may be, next generation it may become. So who knows? And comment from Facebook user. I think he liked her more of a ranger than a Starfleet officer. He calls her seven at the end, which he did, which I thought, again, just beautiful, beautiful way to tie in, to just tie in that whole storyline Man, I really started to like Shaw, and this was the icing on the cake for me to see him. And did he call her seven of nine in his he, like dying breath? Well, he did. He did. Yeah, I think he kind of showed her then. Yeah, what he actually how he actually felt. Well, because, but she he kept doing you know he kept doing the yeah. handsome thing, and it's obvious because this this review was written or done before Picard and Riker right. even got on the ship. 
So he knew he should have been calling her seven yeah. that entire time. He just being a the an asshole like he said he was. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and to have Tuvok deliver that, I just, you know, I love Tim Russ and seeing him come back was amazing. The former crew of the Enterprise gets a full pardon, which, yay. And I'm going to go back to you with this, Larry. Admiral Crusher, head of Starfleet Medical. Uh, she, how many times she been head of Starfleet Medical? Yeah. I mean, was that really? season she went off and did some stuff. She came back and, you know. And then she was on that, on that ship that was shaped like a planet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Uh, she's an admiral, though. I like that, though. I like that. And you know what? Beverly uh, Gates McFadden, number one, had a lot to do. I was I was a little upset because I was like, they're kind of pushing her to the background here. It's like, but they brought her back in they full did. force in this one, you know, because that's a hard thing when you see, boy, she killed that. When you see in her eyes that I know to save billions of people. I got to give up my my last child. Right. My other child is gone. He's out there somewhere in the universe doing whatever. And now this is my last child. It was almost like that Wakanda forever <laughs> with Angela Bassett line. Have I not given everything? Mm, That's yes. how Beverly <laughs> felt. Like you've already taken my husband. You took my son. Now you're taking my other son. Yeah, she had to fire those torpedoes too. Mm-hmm. And that perfectly played she does implement the fleet-wide transport solution to Persiborg infection and also other irregularities which i thought was pretty cool icing <laughs> on the cake we see the scene where the changeling comes through and gets caught gotcha that's what i'm still mad about i'm <laughs> still mad about this whole changeling <laughs> thing because okay they did yes we wrapped it up with, you know in two lines of rikers captain's log at the end of this episode it's like oh yeah changes got caught and no infection is gone and then it's like, but how did these two people even get together? The, the Borg and the Changeling. How did they get together in the first place? Well, mm, they made the statement that they both hated the, the, the Federation. Federation. There's a lot of people that hate the Federation, but how did they find each other <laughs> from the Delta Quadrant? One is in the Delta Quadrant. Of course, she comes through this transwarp conduit. Yeah, how did all that go against? I want to know. But, and I never will now, so... Hmm. I wonder if they try to assimilate a changeling. How did that work out? That had to be it, John. It, they probably <laughs> they had to have tried to assimilate, and it had to be Vatic because they were able to control, like, make a effect out of her when when uh, when they were talking. So it had to be Vatic, right? You know, I uh, it, it could have been so one of the changelings that was sent off from the home world to explore a galaxy could have ended up in the Delta Quadrant. And ended up with the Borg. And like I said, Borg tried to assimilate a changeling. It didn't quite work out. I'm going to go and infect all my brothers and sisters. Yeah. <laughs> There's a story there to be told, definitely. Yeah. Uh, picking up a few comments. Facebook user says, I was sad that Janeway did not make an appearance, as was I. Tasha, Rafi storyline kind of wraps up. Worf helps her to connect back with her grandkid. Thoughts on that? Was that really earned? Do, do we really need that in this wrap up here? We did need it. We did need it because it was one of, okay, it was one of the, the burning questions that, that was uh, left for me. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, we talked about her family at the beginning of the season. Are we just like, okay, forget the family. You know, she, so she needed to get back with her family. But I also looked at it as an avenue to make us realize the regret that Worf felt about his family because 
looking at this at the the series or the scene in the series, it was kind of like I don't or I I couldn't see uh, or appreciate the expression on Worf's face when he was hugging Raffi. But in looking at screenshots and slowing things down, there was a look of deep regret on that man's face when he was hugging Raffi. And I'm like, this is a story that that obviously they plan to explore and it needs exploring. We need to know what happened with Worf and Alexander. We need to know what was so big that he said, you don't you don't need to pretend to know what I sacrificed for this mission when he said that way back in episode two. So we it looks like we're going to finally at some point, maybe hopefully <laughs> get some closure on what went on with Worf in all of those years. Yeah. Oh, I had a question. Just a random question to everybody. The emotions Data was feeling we were talking about. How inconsistent were they with that emotion chip across? I mean, he had emotion, then he didn't have emotions, then he could turn them on and off when he wanted to, and then next thing you see, he did, like he doesn't have any emotions at all anymore. I liked it here because it's it's not really tied to the chip; it's tied to the new body. So in that case, I was totally fine with it. But but yeah, in the course of history of data, they have definitely went up and down on the emotion thing. So, I mean, I was fine with it here, though. This time he has he can pull from lore and Mm -hmm. B4 and he can pull from everybody to handle those emotions before he was trying to handle emotions without any knowledge of them. And also he can bore Deanna Troy endlessly in these counseling (laughs) sessions. Poor woman. (laughs) It just seemed painful. (laughs) <laughs> oh no, that was a joke that kind of didn't land for me <laughs> because I just don't think Deanna would be just ignoring him. Uh, play, I'm planning my vacation. You know what, Larry? I agree with you. Like, so if you're a counselor, right, <laughs> and you've been with this being that's never experienced emotions, that's all he's ever wanted, he finally has them permanently. You have to think that there's going to be some issues we need. That would be like her dream counseling job, you would think. Mm, Yeah. But at the same time, she's done with her counseling. Like, she's retired. She's ready to go swim in the beach. They're going to need all the counselors they can get. Almost the entire Starfleet, everybody under 25 has just been assimilated. Right. So she needs to take this vacation. Yeah. And you're ready to clock back in because yeah. you're a leader. <laughs> you can see that in the looks of their faces when they yeah. uh right when they face seven, right when the collective mm-hmm. stopped controlling them. Like I could just see in their faces like how much confusion. There was just no words. There were no emotions that could be expressed. They had no clue. And a whole planet of sub twenty five year olds. <laughs> well, well, again, take 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 what Lacutus did and apply it to everybody. Everybody has that feeling of guilt now, right. which is crazy. We're every young person anyway. One year later, we see the final shutdown sequence of the Enterprise D. Fitting send-off? What you guys think? Yes. 100. If, if that's it, if that's it, that's it. That's it. Put her back in the garage. She's taking care of us for, for forever, and I'm going to take care of her forever. Yeah. I, I, I think I did like that. I appreciated it. Can't believe it's the end, man. And then I like uh, Riker's comment. He said, I love that voice. Yes. Oh, oh, that was sad. Give Majel a nice, nice little nod. Now, we get the scene where we get in a lot of Star Trek series, or most of the, more so maybe the movies, where they fly up to the new ship and <laughs> they're taking Jack to his first assignment, which 
do we really want to fast track this guy through Starfleet? He he is so much a Maverick. He is more of a Maverick than any character I've seen in Star Trek. Nepo baby. Nepotism at its finest. This is where Star Trek gets into the realm of it's a show. <laughs> it's a show. Because we know I love it. We know it. But you know good and well, man. All them people that have been Borgified, they ain't letting none of them go nowhere. <laughs> Borgified. <laughs> good luck. On a small scale, each and every one of us has somebody in our family that if we are in a position to have a job to give to somebody, we like, we're going to look for cousin, nephew, sister, brother first. That's cousin Eddie. And if you are John Luke Picard and Beverly Crusher and you don't push your baby through Starfleet at a fast track, there, there's something wrong. Nepotism is going to always, it's always been here. It's going to always be here. Did he change his name or not? I hope he did. Because I'm hearing people say he did. I didn't, I didn't hear anybody say it out loud, but I thought that there would be Jack Crusher Picard by we get, by the time we got to the end of this. Yes. I, I hope he keeps Crusher. Me I, too. Know, I hope he keeps Picard because he needs to carry the family name. Well, I think he'll be against the Picard because he don't want that to follow him. He wants to make his own way. Yeah, but Crush is a famous name. Nepotism, baby. He said it himself. (laughs) I'm here. The only reason this happened is because of you guys. He knew he was a nepotist. He 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 wants all the nepotism. But going going forward from here, he can make his own way. Can you get on the ship with your father's friends? Really? (laughs) But that's why I love Jake Sisko so much. Y'all know I love my Jake. It's because Jake was one of the only characters we've seen where he was like. My dad's a Starfleet officer. I'm gonna be a writer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jake wouldn't have none of that. He got access that he would not have gotten if Cisco wasn't his dad. Everybody benefits from their last name. I'm saying he chose his own path. Yeah, he didn't just go. Yeah, I'm going Starfleet Academy, just like Dad. I want to ask you guys about the the, the Titan being rechristened. Was this more to serve the story, or was it more of Matalis wanting to put his stamp on the Enterprise legacy. Because I can see it both ways, but I kind of felt like, oh, uh, really? I, like it. I felt like if you want to serve this story, you name that ship the USS Picard. Mm, that's what I thought it was going to be. So in that same interview I was reading, he mentioned, Metallus mentioned this. And again, here he is, just like on Twitter. And for whatever reason, I came up <laughs> on this article. But he he chose not to do Picard because he wanted to leave open if there's going to be a series with Seven of Nine cap, uh, at the helm. Like he didn't want the Picard name hanging mm, over. Yeah, uh, that was part of it. He also says, and we don't see it on screen, that it is rechristened back to the Titan. Hold what? Hold up! You no, just totally broke I, me right here. You broke me. I wish I'd have saved this article. Yeah, I didn't hear about that either. That would just be so dumb. Well, I mean, he just, he's, th- again, since this is end, he can say anything, right? So he's just saying for the continuation, it was changed back to the Titan. This was an honorary thing to honor Picard and well, the crew that, that and all of that. I would be okay with that because here's the thing. The, the Enterprise is the flagship of the Federation. It has been, and it's always the most advanced version they have at that time. Now, look, I I don't remember what she said, but there was a, oh, the lady in my chat, Ms. Powell, 
She debunked you. She was like, oh, no. She gave examples. The lady had receipts and everything. Enterprise is not always the flagship of the Federation. And mm. um, so, and we just literally just decommissioned the F. But yeah. who did she say was, though? Don't give me the line. That's what I'm saying because I don't remember <laughs> everything. It was like a, a fast moving chat yesterday, but she did have receipts, and I will I'll, I'll look it up myself, and we can talk about it on another time. But, I know it started, of course, after Kirk, before Kirk, of course not, but uh, definitely after Kirk and his guys got done. I think it became the flagship. It became the flagship in TNG. Yeah, did they not say that uh, Rachel Garrett's? ship the enterprise c was the flagship at one point maybe they did all i remember is the first time we heard flagship was in tng okay mm. <laughs> regardless we just decommissioned the f so now we you were you were gonna not have an enterprise anyway why would you change the name of this ship from titan to enterprise and then turn it back to titan off screen <laughs> that was, that's, feels yeah, weird you man. made me mad i'm sorry <laughs> We we go we go to the we go to the fact check that one, John. I'm finding it. I'm going to find it. But we get to the final scene. Well, the Q scene we kind of talked about. Q is back to talk to Jack to continue the Picard legacy of effing with the Picard, I guess. <laughs> but we get this last scene at Ten Ford Bar, and no Guinan to be found. By the way, I'm like, where's Guinan? But they said she was side eyeing him. So they mentioned her, but we didn't see her. You was where Kestra, Kestra and her was sitting at a table together. <laughs> There's a tide in the affairs of men. And this is the end. We go back to that iconic shot of the poker table and, you know, the rotating camera. And, and we're out of there, guys. And they let it sit. We we stayed with them a little while while they chatted and talked and, and fussed about the game and all the other good stuff. And uh, yeah, was this the, the ending we needed? Is this the... Book you got to mention uh, Data trying to get that joke in one more time. <laughs> <laughs> there once was a... Uh, <laughs> so I always to finish that show. <laughs> Listen. Yeah, was, that was our nemesis, wasn't it, when he yeah. first said that? It was the Naked Now, wasn't it? Was it Naked Now? It may have been. Episode, the, the Naked Now. I, I thought it was a nemesis. Or whatever. I could he, be right. You know how I, I just told y'all, movies <laughs> and me. Because Nemesis was also where he let go of the old shit on the bridge, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not Nemesis. Uh, generations. Generations. Yeah, it was Generations. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? One thing that I did want that I did want to see resolved that didn't get any on-screen resolution was the Listen. Laris thing. You guys know I've been saying it for weeks. Like, is he or isn't he going to stand this lady up? I'm Luke be breaking hearts all over the place. Right? She gone. She gone. <laughs> Somebody said she was changing the name of that vineyard <laughs> to from uh from Chateau Picard. <laughs> oh god. Look, that was that whole situation did not even need to happen in retrospect. You you had uh Javon and Laris there. Um he dies off screen, then Picard and her. Will they want they? Yeah, I think we're going to. Nope. But they did, didn't they? They hooked up at. They had been together for a year. John Luke's hooked up with a lot. Yeah, I'm saying they had been together for a year. This, they were at the beginning of this season, planning on going off to to some place together, and and um and that phone call came. And one last adventure call. Oh, baby, I'll be right back. Go pick a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a kid with this. 
woman way back in the day, and baby back mama drama. Back and I'm out. Baby mama drama. Any other thoughts of this wrap up of of this episode before we guys get out of here? I really enjoyed it. Uh, You know, for me, I'll go first on a rating. I'm going to give it a five. I think you can't help but to give it a five just because I think it gave all of these actors and characters just a fitting send off. Some of them we still hope to see again. But at this current moment, if there was no other next gen, I think they I think they served them well. Yeah. So five out of five for me, Cal. I give this five cues out of five. Larry. Five. No question. Jonathan, what do you think, man? With all of the issues that we pointed out, I'm just going to say it's five. Okay. And the reason being, (laughs) the reason being, just the scene from at the end where they're all standing at the bar and trying to decide who's going to do the toast and then the poker game. Yeah. Like that, you could have put everything else. I would have watched the episode of Lord Dix before this. And had that scene at the end, and I still would have gave it a five. Tasha, what do you think? Before I tell you what I think, it's one more scene that I got to talk about. Because, yeah, I know, I love Worf. When he came back off of that board cue, and he sat in that chair, <laughs> and he fell asleep. I was like, what's going on? I'm like, <laughs> that oh, yeah. man fell asleep and was snoring. And that was everything to me. And it's those moments that you you can't rob the joy out of of us experiencing moments like those that we never experienced before, yeah. recognizing that we've been around a long, long enough with these characters for them to get old and tired. Yeah. Yeah. Five, uh, five, take all my fives. Yeah. <laughs> fives all around. So yeah. Yeah. Good ratings all around. And man, I can't believe it's over guys. I really can't believe it's over. What did you guys think of the episode? Hit us up in the chat, or you can also hit us up at Discussing Trek on any and all social medias to let us know how you feel about this season, this episode. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, I know we missed the answer to a Trek trivia a couple episodes back. Can we get that answer? And also the answer for last week and a new one, if you have it. Oh, a couple of weeks back, uh, it says, which Bajoran orb was the Power Wraiths released from? And I do believe we had an answer on that from our good friend, Rail Connor. And he says, I have to admit that I'm a little stumped by a trivia question this week, so I'm really looking forward to hearing the answer on this one. I know the Orb of Contemplation briefly housed the one of the Power Wraiths because... Okay, I'll give the answer. Handle that. I know the orb of contemplation briefly housed one of the pirates because we see Jadzia Dax killed in the process of that pirate using Goldakot to get to it. That pirate then collapses the wormhole and starts a war with the prophets. But I've always thought the pirates were otherwise housed in the fire caves of Bajor. So, John, would you please enlighten us on what the answer for this actually is? Is it the orb of contemplation? So it was the Orb of Contemplation, and he is partially right because they were originally uh, trapped in the fire caves. That's where they were. Well, not trapped. When they were active, that's where the pirates were. They were in the fire caves on Bajor. But if I'm remembering this correctly, the prophets actually housed, put them in the Orb of Contemplation. Mm, good stuff. Thank you, Harrell. And the question from... A couple of weeks ago was uh, what is the origin grid and the species designation for humans 
by the Borg. And Harold wrote in the full answer is species 5618 from the Alpha Quadrant grid 325. Is that the right answer, John? That is correct, sir. Oh, wow. Harold is on it. (laughs) (laughs) I would have never, ever, 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 ever. (laughs) And I have a quick fun one for us this week, and we're going to get the answer since we'll probably be off for a couple of weeks. All right. So what TNG cast action figure was offered for free at one of the first conventions that the cast visited? I would assume it would be Picard, but... Yeah, do you guys have a clue? Mr. Convention Man Larry, do you know this one? Right. I don't, but I, I think it might be uh, the Wesley Crusher. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> All right, so, so I'll give you data? the... Uh, no, not data. Okay. So I'll give you a quick answer. It was Will Rikers, and he has a story behind this. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, do tell. This is like when TNG first was released, and I don't have the exact date. He was we telling had an answer the story. from the crowd, Rikers. <laughs> oh, nice, <laughs> awesome, Johnny. Impressive. Good nice. job. One of the first conventions they went to after the release of TNG, and I think it was in New York. Jonathan Franks went in and saw a table of action figures, and they, he said they had one like Jordy that was like thirty five dollars. They had a Data action figure like like forty five dollars. And he said it was like the Picard. And of course, that one's most expensive, like 75. And he said way down on the end, he saw a group of Riker action figures that said free Riker action figure with the purchase of any other. Oh, Lord. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> oh, gosh. No respect. No respect, man. <laughs> no respect. And we did we did get that answer from both Johnny and Facebook user also had the same answer. So good job, good guys. Job, Y'all guys. rocked it. <laughs> Cool. That's a funny way to end things off on. Well, that's it, guys. We're ready to wrap this up. I'm going to let Larry give a plug for his YouTube channel, and then we're going to go to Tasha, give her a plug, and then we're going to get out of here, guys. I'm on YouTube at Reinhardt6837. Uh, got some uh, videos and stuff. It's very low-key, but getting there. And also, of course, Miss Tasha of After the Snap Movies and TV. How can people find you? Well, that's a good place to start at After the Snap Movies and TV on YouTube and on Facebook at uh, and on Twitter uh, at Snap After. Join us for our live streams on Sundays, 4.30 p.m. Central Time. We have a lot of fun and I do weekly videos as well. So love to see your face in the place. Indeed, indeed. And thanks to each and every one of you for joining in the chat. Uh, we really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. And we're probably going to break down the Strange New Worlds trailer next week. But yeah, we, we need to find some content to produce in the gap here. So maybe some Strange New Worlds stuff. And we'll probably go back and find a few episodes that, that might get us prepped for that season that we review. But yeah, it's been fun. And thank you guys for joining. We're ready to wrap this thing up. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.
You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. Can I say that like shut up Wesley? I can just go shut up Clarence?